You know what, watching him is always a terrifying experience. I don't know what's going to happen, what's going to come of me. But evening, it is good to be with you. Um, just, I, I've met a few people who've been coming to church for the last three weeks, and they said, hi, or you knew, no, they didn't say that. But, but I could tell by their faces that they were wondering, I'm actually the pastor, I really do work here. Just what happened is someone said to me, do you want to come away with me to St. Francis? And I said, of course. And that was like back in... January or something, and then someone else said to me, do you want to come with me to Bali? And so I said, of course, and then I disappeared for three weeks, so that's why you haven't seen me, and it's, it's been better than you can imagine. If you're a surfer, it was better than you can think. Anyway, I, I'm going to pray and then get into, oh, no, wait, I've got two announcements. If you, bye. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. If you're in business, and you would consider mentoring someone. I'm taking 20 business people down to a private school in Umlazi where I'm looking to expose you to what mentorship could be for the next generation. Now, I've got about 11 or 12 people signed up so far, so if you want to be part of this, you need to catch me after the service so I can connect you in, but it will expose you to a lot of other entrepreneurs and to a really big difference that you can make, so catch me afterwards if you, if you can. Um, I'm going to preach, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to preach into the series on the Father. Heavenly Father, I believe that tonight can be so special for people that their entire relationship with you will change because of tonight. Anoint me, fill my, fill my mind with your thoughts, my heart with your heart, and, and my lips. Anoint my lips to speak your word, I pray. Amen. <clears throat> so... There was a, in the Kruger National Park in the 80s, there was a, a culling operation. Basically what had happened in the 80s, and this is the case today, is that Kruger National Park is X size big, and it, if you don't, if nothing's killing game, they just keep breeding, and elephant kept breeding. And they bred and bred and bred until there were probably about 5,000 too many in Kruger National Park. And so they didn't know what to do about it, so they decided they were gonna cull. But they, they didn't want to cull the whole herd, so what they did is they took out all the adult males and females, and they took the young, and they put them in a national park called Pelensburg National Park. And so when they dropped the young in Pelensburg National Park, the young, the first thing they did is they looked for something that resembled an elephant, and they found rhino. And they hung around the rhino, and they grew up basically with these rhino. When the males hit 18, they hit must. Now, must is basically what happens to teenage males when they have too many hormones for their IQ. You, you, you know that stage. And, uh, and must in an elephant should happen at 28. But it happened at about 16, 17, 18 for these elephants. So they, they basically became romantically inclined, and, uh, and they didn't have any female elephants. So, well, they were, there were a few, but they didn't want to mate with them, they wanted to mate with the rhinos, which is always going to go badly, you know, like don't, don't cross some lines, just not good. Anyway, so the rhinos weren't so keen, so the elephant lost it, and they started killing rhino. And by 1993, I think about, they'd killed 63, or 95, they'd killed 63 rhino. And, and nobody could work out what was going on because they didn't have it on tape. And then one day, someone captured the footage of, of this elephant. We've got a, a picture here. This elephant's name is Tom Tom, and he's killing a rhino. 
And so they thought to themselves, well, what are we going to do? These elephants had charged tourists. <clears throat> They'd done all kinds of things. So they got a professional hunter in to shoot the elephant. He came in. This elephant somehow got wind of him. And, yeah, bad. Anyway, that wasn't intentional. Anyway, he, he, he got hold of this professional hunter, killed him. So they got another professional hunter in. They shot an elephant. It, went so, it was so nasty and miserable that they went, that didn't work. And the elephant kept killing rhino, they actually killed a few hippo, they were just, they went rogue. That's what happened, they went utterly rogue. And so by the 90s, they were scratching their heads, they were trying to work out what to do, and they now had choppers that could carry a full-grown elephant. So they thought to themselves, let's get a dad elephant. So these elephants, about three and a half, four tons, a big male elephant, five tons. Let's go get a big father elephant and drop him in. They dropped this elephant. I'll show you a picture of him. His name's Amarula. That's five tons of elephant. They dropped him into Pelensburg National Park. He, as he landed, he woke up, and within a very short amount of time, the young elephant decided to challenge him. And so one of them came at him. Five tons versus three and a half to four tons. He hit the elephant so hard, he lifted it off the ground and threw it out into the bush. Do you know that the rogue elephants never behaved badly again? No more rhinos died, no more hippos died, no more tourists were charged. It's the power of fathers. You see, we live in a country, and we live in a world that's gone rogue. If, if, you, if you think about the problem in our world, it's, it's gone rogue because of the absence of fathers. What's fascinating about, about how rogue we've gone is that it's, it's for the first time probably ever, it's a fatherlessness that hasn't been caused by war. Throughout the generations, there was fatherlessness, but it was always caused because fathers went out to war, they died. And so young kids grew up without dads. But in this generation, our generation, fathers just absconded. And in South Africa, we've got the added addition of the evil of apartheid, which took fathers out of their homes and put them onto mines and destroyed the family nucleus, landing up in, in a world and a country that's gone rogue. And if you just look at Uyunene's and, and the Am I Next campaign and all of that, it's a sign of people going rogue. When I was in Bali, I was walking down this one street, and I was with a really big guy. And whilst we were walking, he was offered, note, he was offered, they looked at me and they went, that's a pastor. He was offered, no, I'm joking. He was offered ladies, ladyboys, cocaine, Viagra, and something else. Like all in, all in like 10, 15 meters. The, the world's gone rogue. It's, it's broken. Stuff's messed up because of a lack of fathers. And it's why the church has such a huge role to play. It's why adoption is such a big thing. It's, it's why we need to tell people about the father and reveal the Father. But in order to do that, we need to understand the Father. And so as, as I take on this series, Like Father, Like Son, and it's just called Like Father, I, I want to try to describe to you the, how this whole Father thing plays out throughout the Bible. And I need some, I need some sons. Let's, you, you're coming, Brie. I'll help you with your lots of things. Yeah, come, come, Brie. And, and I, need, I need a lady... Where's, where's Sarah? I need Sarah. There, come, come, Sarah. And Tim, you can be a dad. Come, Tim. Okay. I'm going to explain the whole Bible. And 
and say, I know this is not like winning on the gender space, but you're going to be the devil because... Oh, no. Because, because a guy wouldn't tempt anyone. So anyway, okay. Here's, here's the story of the Bible. And if you're not a Christian, this is going to sound like, it's, it's going to sound fabulish. But just come, come along the journey with me. So basically, God makes Adam. And then Luke... This son needs more disciplining than other sons. Adam, Adam, the scripture in Luke 3, it speaks about Adam, the son of God. And, and the desire of the father is to have a relationship with the son. Now what happens is Satan comes along. I mean, she, doesn't she just look like a... <laughs> Satan comes along, and, and the scripture says... The God of this world, please can you pass those sunglasses? I walked out my car with sunglasses and then I thought of this idea. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe. Very trendy. <laughs> and, uh, I, don't know if this, I don't know if this is recoverable. Anyway, has blinded the eyes of those who do not believe so that they cannot hear the message of Christ. Why? So that they will not turn to the Father. They can't turn to the Father. There's a fight. And so Satan leads them away. You can like wink and tempt the next one. And so, so then what God says is, he, he says, I raised up Israel and he calls Israel my firstborn son. And he blinds the eyes and he tempts, tempts Israel to leave. And, and what you see throughout the whole Bible is God is trying to pursue relationship. And every now and again, they come back to the Father. But again and again, they are led astray by Satan out of relationship with the Father. And whenever they go out of relationship with the Father, they go rogue. Then, Aaron, come here. Come, come. No, no, oh, just come. Then God sends, I know this is unlikely to, he sends his only son. (laughs) Now, most people don't understand the point of Jesus. In fact, most of you struggle to have a a relationship with God because you don't understand why Jesus came. Jesus came for three things. He came to reveal the Father. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he came to show off his dad. He came to destroy the works of the devil, okay? Break the blindness. Don't take my glasses. Then, four things, I said three, four things. He, he came to show us how to live in relationship with the Father. And then, <laughs> then, He came to make a way for you to come back to the Father. Yeah, you too. (laughs) But not you. Jesus' whole ministry was to get you back to Dad. It wasn't to get you back to Him. It was to get you to the Father. And when you start to understand that, you start thanking Jesus for everything he's done. And it starts to make him become bigger and bigger in your life. Okay, thank you. Why don't you give them an incredible hand? (laughs) 
There is a, a war on this father-son relationship. And ladies, we, that word son's used, it's used in gender-neutral ways, but I'm just going to keep using it as son. I'm talking sons and daughters. And, and so Jesus, when he starts his ministry, which is to reveal the father, make a way to the father, show us how to live his, his father-son father relationship, before he can do that, he has to overcome the battle that we overcame or haven't overcome. He has to beat the devil at all the things that we failed to beat the devil at. And so in Matthew 3, we read about it in verse 16. It says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say, people do not live on bread alone, but, every, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. <coughs> Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him the kingdoms of this world and all their glory. I'll give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him, for the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away and angels came and took care of Jesus. I want to start at the beginning of that verse. I don't know what that is, but if it's important, please give it to you. And the father says, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I'm well pleased. When I was nine turning 10, my mom got married. Now, before she got married, I was Ross, the son of no one. My blood father had left, he'd absconded. And, and so when everybody else was telling a story about what they did with their dads on the weekend, I couldn't play. I was the son of no one. Now, when you grow up as the son of no one, what you, what you learn in life is no one will provide, no one really can protect, no one's gonna teach me how to do stuff, I'm on my own and I need to make it happen. That's, that's how orphans think, that's how people with, who are fatherless think, it, it's kinda how you grow up, and you actually, if you're, how many of you grew up without a dad? This is what every one of you do. You take responsibility for the other parent. They don't, they may be taking responsibility for you, but you're also taking responsibility for them and, and what's going on in you is responsibility for them. It's how you think. Then Gary comes along. And in one day, I go from being Ross, the son of no one, to Ross, the son of Gary. And within a very short period of time, everything began to change. Now you gotta understand, when I was Ross, the son of no one, I was an anemic, skinny, little wimp. I, I just, I, I stayed out of the action. I, I didn't, I wasn't with the cool kids. I just like, I kind of, I was shy. I wasn't confrontational. But now I was Ross, the son of Gary. And 
Gary was a professional hunter. And if we got into a, your dad, my dad can beat up your dad conversation, well, my dad was a professional hunter and he'll shoot your ass from 200 meters. Like, nothing's going to happen. <laughs> and something in me begins to shift. And so I remember the day my dad comes home. Now, you've got to understand, my mom was a teacher. I ate so much freaking mince. Like every single flipping night, we ate mince and something else. Moms, if you're a single mom, please don't make your kid mince every night. Like, I just ate mince. We, she was living off a teacher's salary. It was tough. Like, so we didn't have lots of stuff. But then I become the son of Gary, and suddenly I'm on a game farm. I've got access to rifles, to fishing rods. I've got, I can go ride horses. I have people making me food. Like, everything shifts. And one day, he comes home, and he's bought me a cricket bat. I've told the story a couple of times, but he, he gives me this cricket bat. Now, when I got it, I wept. Because it wasn't something... It wasn't something just, oh, there's another cricket bat. This was something emotional that just happened to me because a father bestowed something on a son. And, and so I got this cricket bat and I put linseed oil, you know, that smelly stuff, and I put it all over and I knocked this cricket bat in. In fact, I loved this cricket bat so much, I put it into bed with me and, and ruined my mom's sheets. Like, it was that cricket bat. I take it to school the one day. And remember, I'm like a skinny, like scrawny, you think I'm skinny now? Like, I was white, my, my kids told me that I'm coffee now. I used to be like anemic white. They say, my mom, mom's peach and you're coffee, dad. But anyway, back then I was like white, I was anemic, I was just, I was just really, really shy. I go to school, and on the way back, there's a grade six, I'm in grade four, grade six says to me, can I see your bat? I'm so proud of it, I say, here, have a look. And he takes the bat and he starts banging it against the steel floor. So I said, don't bang it. Now, remember, I'm like this scrawny little kid. He keeps banging it. But now I'm Ross, the son of Gary. And I got up and I smoked him so hard, there was blood coming out of his nose in all directions and angels rejoiced. Heaven <laughs> went mad. Because now I had a father. And fathers bestow an identity on their sons and daughters that shapes them into someone who can stand their ground and hold what's theirs and protect and guard because they don't need to prove it. Now they've got a father. You see, when you have that orphan-heartedness, because you can have a father who's absent and you can be orphan-hearted. When you have that orphan-heartedness, your whole thinking is about, is about how am I going to make it work? Um, so, so often-hearted people, they hustle. Often-hearted people, the, the, no one will ever protect them, so they form cliques and gangs. Often-hearted people, they, they're always trying to make it work for themselves. They're always trying to prove a point. This is, this is what happens in the heart, and when the Father comes and begins to shift and change you. You know, when I have a tough day at work, you know where I go? I go to Gary's house. Because at Gary's house, I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. I'm not a board member. I'm just a son. And when I get to Gary's house, I'm going to get the love and approval of a father that's not based on what I did yesterday. It's just based on the fact that I'm his. You see, Jesus 
It's really tough when you have no home to go to. And Jesus lived out of the home of his father. And so any time he needed to go back somewhere, he went back home to the father because home is where the father is. And he was settled and strengthened and his identity was secured and his life made sense because of the father and then he was strengthened and he could walk out. The thing about orphan-heartedness is there's no way you can go to just be a son. Satan comes to him at, his, at Jesus at his absolute weakest and he says, if you're the son of God, Prove it. Turn these stones into bread. Now, I want you to understand this. Jesus could have. If he can multiply five loaves to feed 5,000, he can turn stones into bread. So he could have done it. But Satan is going after him. He's trying to shake his identity. And Jesus, in this moment, he knows what Satan's trying to do. And he's going, I'm going to wait on the Father. I'm not going to prove it. You see, we all go through temptation. And this is what it, what's going on. I mean, imagine, Jesus hasn't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. And Satan says, if you're the son of God, just turn that stone into bread so you can eat. Jesus really wants to eat. But he goes, I am not going to prove myself to you. I'm not going to satisfy my own hunger. I'm going to wait on the Father. You see, what temptation is, the temptation is a deal with you to ask the question, are you going to satisfy yourself or are you going to wait on the Father? Are you going to date that person even though they're not a Christian and you know that that relationship's probably going to go there or are you going to wait on the Father? Are you, are you going to leave that job even though you know God called you to that job and even though you, you know that God's in that job? Are you, going to, are you going to leave that job and go and get a better salary or are you going to wait on the Father? Everything about temptation, it's just a, are you going to wait on God or are you going to take matters into your own hands or are you going to become an orphan again? This is what Satan's going. And, and Jesus goes, you've got to be joking. Man doesn't live on bread alone. He, he's going, I'm not going to be satisfied by myself. I'm going to be satisfied by everything that comes from the Father. I'm going to wait on the Father. And then Satan comes to him again. And he says, he says, takes him to the top of of a temple in Jerusalem. And he says, if you're the son, jump. Now, and, and he explains it. He says, because the scripture says that you won't even hurt your foot on the stone. I want you to, exp- to explain to you something about Satan. Satan has three weapons, okay? It's called the lust of the eyes, the lust of the fre- flesh, and the pride of life. Okay, so, so let me try and help you understand how this works. When Satan comes to Eve, he says to her, did God say that if you eat to that tree, uh, that you shouldn't eat from the tree? And she says, no, we, or you shouldn't eat fruit. And she says, no, we just can't eat from that tree. But she looks at that tree and she sees the fruit on the tree. She sees the apple and she knows this is a Woolies apple. It's not a Checkers apple. And she goes, I want one. That's the lust of the eyes. Then she can feel saliva's coming out from underneath her taste buds because it just, it's like chuckles. It just tastes so delicious. She, she can feel it. That's the lust of the flesh. And then Satan says these words to her. He says, you won't die. He lies to her. God knows 
that if you take of that, you will be like God. And then he uses these words, they actually mean this. You'll be able to handle, it says in the scripture, it says no, but the word actually means to be able to understand and handle good and evil. We were never designed to be able to handle evil. So he says, you'll be like God. And so that is the pride of life. I want to be something I'm not. So Satan comes to Jesus and he goes, or he comes to Eve, take of that thing. Then he comes to Jesus. And the first thing he says is turn the bread, the, the stones into bread. That's the lust of the flesh. Then, he's, then he takes him to the top of this mountain. And he says, jump, because the Bible says that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. That's pride. He's trying to get Jesus to prove himself. Okay, pride always proves itself. And, and Jesus goes, no, it's pride. See, this is the thing about orphans. When you're an orphan, you need, you have an insatiable desire to prove yourself to people around you. It's why we, we want, we're always looking at how many likes I have on Instagram or Facebook or, or how well am I doing in this thing. We have insatiable, we actually ache to know that we're doing well. To know that I have the goods, I can prove myself. You know, I remember going back to my house in Zim and uh, I walked through and I'm an only child. Like it explains a lot, but uh, I'm an only child. And uh, everywhere I went, there are just photos of me. And so there's a photo of my first hundred, and there's a, there's a photo of, of a problem animal that I shot with my dad, and there's photos of me making a Zim team, and there's just photos all over the show, me being head of house. Like, just all my achievements are photographed. It's disgusting. It's like nauseating. If, you, if you're visiting with me, like, I try and hide them, but if I'm on my own, I'll just go, yeah, that's me. And, uh, <laughs> but there's one photo. And in this little photo, I'm probably about, I don't know, 12, skinny little runt. And I'm dressed in jeans and shoes, and I've got this jacket on. And my dad is standing next to me, and he's got very court broker, way too court. And uh, no shirt, he's got some slops on. And he's, we're both holding fishing rods, but he's holding all the fish. And so I said to him, I said, Dad, I get the hundred, I get... That achievement, that achievement. But tell me, what on earth is going on with this photo? He says to me, it's my favorite. I said, why? He said, you were sick. The doctor said that you needed to stay at home. But I broke you out of that thing, and I took you fishing. And you didn't catch a thing. But that wasn't the thing. I got to spend the whole day with you, and I loved every single moment of it. See, this is the father. I just want to be with the son. The Holy Spirit, he began speaking to me after I got saved. I remember I was, I was playing some, I was going for trials. And um, I, up until then, I had an average of like 95 or something. I, was, I had a really good average. And so I went in going, I'm going to make this team. And I go in, and I don't know what happens to me, but BMT didn't exist. And a guy bowls a bouncer. Now, it was probably the slowest bouncer ever bowled. It's... It, like boying, it was like a tennis ball. And it was just saying, please hit me for six. I lost it, and the ball hit me in the head. And I lost it from then on. And all my trials, I went out for like under 20. And so I knew it was over. I'm sitting on my bed, and my dad walks in. And he says to me, my boy, 
whether you make this team or not means absolutely nothing to me. I'm proud of you not because of, of what you do. I'm proud of you because you're mine. Now, and that day, I couldn't have given a rip what he said. When the Holy Spirit came into my life, he reminded me of that moment and he said, that's how the Father sees you. Some of you need to know you can stop trying to prove yourself. You need to get that Father. You see, that aching in your soul, that deep, deep desire for you to prove your way through, that thing that makes you have a quarter-life crisis at 28 because you're not Britney Spears, like that thing inside of you, only the Father's approval will fill that. Jesus is so filled with the Father's approval that he looks out at all the kingdoms and he goes, nah. And then Satan comes to him with the third thing. And he says to him, if you're the son of God, lastly, Satan comes to Jesus and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and he says, I'll give them all to you if you'll bow down and worship me. He appeals now to what Jesus can see. And Jesus in that moment, he, he has two options. He either takes the kingdoms by worshiping Satan or he takes the kingdoms by going to the cross. I want to speak to more mature Christians for a moment. If you are going to be like the son, then part of your sonship is suffering for the father. I meet Christians the whole time going, I don't believe in God anymore because I'm suffering. I don't believe that God exists because I'm suffering. It's part of your job description. Suffering is part of what it means to represent the Father. He suffers on your behalf. Jesus goes, the whole purpose, Satan, at which I've come is to get these Muppets back to the Father. You think I'm going to give that up? My life is about the cross. And Christians, our life should be about the cross. Because it's part of our, I've got his love, I've got his approval, so what can I do for you, Dad? And I'll tell you all of these things. Actually, because I want your soul satisfied. So, I go on this Bali holiday, and the waves were phenomenal. Tim Churchy, the waves were so good, but they were off the charts. And other surfers, just if you're here, just, they were better than you think. Anyway, I, I go on this trip. And uh, as we get there, um, I get upgraded to business class. So, so there are three of us, there are four of us traveling together, but the one Muppet didn't make it. So anyway, three of us get upgraded to business class. My one mate, he starts arguing, no, I didn't pay for business class. I just go, just shut up and receive, bro. And anyway, we, we get upgraded into, into business class. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been in business class. But they, they talk about the cattle section and business class. Like, it's different. I, I got in, and the lady sitting next to me looked at me with like a snooty look, like she knew I wasn't supposed to be there because I was pressing the chair going up, down, shake it all around. Like, I was just messing. It was amazing. I got there. I surfed better, better waves than I've ever surfed, better than I've ever surfed. I kite surfed. There were days when I was doing sport for seven and a half hours. It was amazing. I, I read books. My mind was satisfied. My body was satisfied. My emotions were satisfied. But the one day, I'm sitting at a, at a little restaurant with, with mates who I love. And we're sitting chatting, 
and this Aussie comes up to us. And I'm like, ah. Oh. And, and, and he starts talking. And you know when it's just TMI, just too much information. And he starts sharing about, uh, it's, I'm addicted to coke and this, and I've come out here so that I can surf and drink. And, and then he, he starts telling us about he's getting divorced. And, and one thing after the next, I'm listening, listening, listening. And then my mate Dave turns to him and he says, you know that you can save your marriage. And he tells him a story and he starts telling him about Jesus. And in that moment, my soul started to be satisfied. You see, my mind and my body and my everything else can be satisfied, but if my soul is not satisfied, it means nothing. The ache continues. That guy confided in Dave afterwards. Dave has got the father heart of God in his heart. He confided often afterwards to me. He said, I didn't know why I came across to that table, and I didn't know why I was sharing all those things, but I just felt safe at that table. Second time, we, we drove out. We just wanted to see the rest of the island, and, and everywhere we'd gone, the reef was dry and dead, and, and we got to this one spot, and we started looking, at, and there was pieces of, of coral that were alive and they were luminous. They were like bright green. And as we were looking at the bright green coral, out of my spirit just erupted praise. And I began to praise God with these two Christian mates I love. And, and as I started praising God, I just felt my soul being satisfied. Your soul gets satisfied when you're with the Father, doing the will of the Father, because He gives a nourishment that you cannot get from anything else. And some of you are chasing like an orphan-hearted child. <clears throat> you're chasing after stuff, and you're trying to get it. And you, it's an endless chase that will never satisfy. And the Father would say to you tonight, will you come back to me? Will you come back? I want you. And so I, I want to offer you an opportunity to respond to the Father. Some of you need the Father because you have no, you need Jesus because you have no relationship at all with the Father. And some of you need Jesus because you need to come into the presence of the Father and Him just to write your life. But all of us need to be centered in the Father. So can I ask that you bow your heads, close your eyes. If you've gone away from the Father or you have no relationship with the Father and you want to ask, you want to come back to the Father? You want that relationship? Why don't you just put up your hand so I can pray with you? See your hands, see your hands, see your hands. So many hands. This is why Jesus came and you just pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross so that I can come back to the Father. Jesus, I ask you, please take away, wipe away all my sin. Please clean me, forgive me. And Jesus, I, I'll follow you. Please keep taking me back to the Father. I'll follow you to the Father. Then you pray this. Father, will you wrap your arms around me? Will you make my spirit come alive? I want to pray over the rest of you. Father, I pray that you will direct and you will define and you will discipline and you will love and you will consume your people. And I pray that their lives may be filled with your voice and their aching hearts 
will be satisfied by your approval. And I pray that you bestow identity on them in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you and keep you and may his face shine upon you. God bless. Have a good night.